Well, good morning. My name is CJ. I got to share with you all last week. If you weren't with us, we were speaking on... Oh, Kevin had asked me to speak on evangelism, and I spoke more towards missional living. Um, and to be, to be honest, two weeks of teaching on missional living is extremely insufficient. Uh, a semester's worth, and then maybe a life's worth of trying and trusting would bring us to a place as a people that would enable us to really live out the mission that the Lord has set before us to go into the world. And so this, this is just a humble offering, a seed that I'm putting down. I would love it if there was an opportunity to continue to teach more, share more, uh, maybe not at a Sunday service, but uh, in home groups or uh, on a Wednesday evening. I would love for us uh, to see us become, as a church, a missional people. So last week we looked at Luke 10, Jesus is sending out of the 72 uh, into the villages and uh, pulled down a few principles out of that. Uh, one of the, the things that I, I find most compelling and, and important for us to kind of get over ourselves is the idea that the harvest is plentiful, that we aren't going out into a world that God has not already started doing things in. And we step into a world where God is at work. And, and instead of us reading sociological studies on generations or LGBT studies, uh, we instead go in saying, no, these people are harassed and they're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. God has already been at work among them. And we step into something that is already happening. And so we need to see people through Jesus' eyes. The big problem Jesus points to isn't the non-believer, it's the labor shortage among believers. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. I wonder what kind of church we would become if we would simply pray that prayer consistently as a people. If that's all we did was say, Lord, every day, Lord, raise up more men and women to go into the harvest. Wow. That alone would be a transformative work in the world. And yet Jesus says not simply to pray, but then as soon as you're done praying, the 72 look up and there's Jesus saying, go, I'm sending you. Uh, that we're to go out into the world in a posture of dependency. We're going to take nothing with us in a posture of expediency. We're not going to stop and greet people along the way. We're going to get where we're going. We're not going to plan how to do all these things. We're just going to go and we're going to trust that the Lord is going before us. And when we get there, we're going to extend peace which simply means we're going to say hi to people. We're going to see if people say hi back to us. We're going to build friendship. We're going to develop relationship. But as we'll see this morning, friendship is not enough. You are not enough. I am not enough. We need to bring the Lord into this. And so what we're going to see today is that Jesus sends them not simply to build a relationship, but to do the work of God and to share the word of God. So let me pray and we'll look at Luke 10, 9. Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you that you have called us together and set before us the work of bringing your gospel into the world. Uh, Father, if, if we're honest, um, we, we don't do this well, individually or corporately. Uh, there's a, a zillion reasons for it, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would remove from us a sense of fear and replace it with a sense of faith. Remove from us a sense that I can't, and place within us a sense that you, Lord, can. 
and move us to become a people who uh, are attentive and caring to non-believers, that we're listening and looking for your work already happening, and we give voice to that, and we call people then to trust and rely on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, would you make us a missional community? We ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen. So we're going to continue in Luke 10, um, and then just one verse, and what I'd like to do is focus a little more on what we could call evangelism proper, or the actual speaking of the gospel to people. So Jesus sends out the 72, they've gone out from house to house, and they've landed uh, in towns and villages, and in verse 8 in Luke 10, Jesus says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So we go out and we do the work of God, we heal, and we do the words of God, we tell. We speak and we serve. We bring these two things together. And the thing that the church has done over the past hundred years in America is we've kind of separated these two things. The works of God have been relegated to mainline, more liberal churches who have concerned themselves with the feeding of the hungry, the caring of the poor, the social needs, civil rights movements. And in that process, they've cared for the needs of society in the brokenness of the world, but they failed to care for the needs of the individual and the brokenness within people. And so they've held to the works of God, but have neglected the Word of God. And I'm not saying they don't love God. I'm not saying that uh, their preaching of the kingdom and the goodness that is to come and the beauty of God's Lordship is a bad thing. I'm saying it's a limited thing. And so when you see a church that's growing, but there's no conversions or no baptisms in that church, we ought to question and say, what's going on in that community that there's growth without baptism, growth without conversion? You might think growth is a good thing, but not all growth is a good thing. If I came to you and said, look at this growth on my arm, you probably wouldn't say, wow, you're continuing to grow. That's amazing. You would probably say, you, you should probably get that checked out. Um, and church growth without baptism or conversion it's something that we should be a little wary of, but to be honest with you, we also ought to be wary of churches that proclaim the Word, call people to personal faith in Jesus Christ, have conversions in adult baptisms, and yet don't care about the needs of the world, have distanced themselves from the broken and the needy and the poor, the homeless. They simply have a Word of God that they're putting forth. We should be just as wary of a community that's like that. E. Stanley Jones was a missionary to India, and uh, one of his famous quotes that I love says this about these two, this separating the works of God from the Word of God. He calls it an individual gospel and a social gospel, but what he says is this. He says an individual gospel, let me look at it so I don't, so I don't butcher it. Yeah. An individual gospel without a social gospel is like a soul without a body. And a social gospel without an individual gospel is like a body without a soul. The one is a ghost, the other a corpse. Neither is a complete life. Neither is whole. Neither is sufficient in and of itself. Both have to be held together. Now this morning, I want to lean into this word piece. I think many of us 
from what I know of some of us, at least, is that we come from evangelical traditions where the word peace is strong. And the reason I want to lean into the word peace is, one, Kevin asked me to speak on evangelism, and this word peace actually is evangelism proper. But the other thing is it's easier today in society as we live to lean simply into works for the good of our community and others and neglect a proclaiming of the Lord of those works. So I want to lean into this work piece. So evangelism proper, the words of God. I think universally we would all agree uh, that evangelism, proclaiming the gospel to others is a good idea, but we're a little fearful. Don't know what to say, feel a little inadequate, afraid what people will think, don't want people to be offended. What if they say no? Worse, what if they say yes? I had a girl I was meeting with, um, and she had an unbelieving friend that she didn't spend a lot of time with, a relation with, and she wanted to share the gospel with her and ask her to follow Jesus. And this uh, intervarsity student said to me, if she says yes, do I have to disciple her? <laughs> I mean, there's this, there, sometimes there's as much fear and confusion, like what, if they say yes, now what do I do? And so I think we would agree that evangelism is good, we're a little hung up on actually doing it. And uh, before I give you this analogy, I just want to say uh, my personal approach and the way that I, I focus with my students is on relational or friendship evangelism. And there are many different forms of evangelism um, that may or may not fit your temperament and your personality. But I want to say if any proclamation of the Word of God done with an honoring of the individual and an honoring of God is good. We actually have a guy who comes on campus uh, once a week. I think it's on Thursdays. He, he has a cooler. He sits on his cooler right outside of D Hall, um, and he hands out bracelets to students, and there are these colored beads on them, and he walks, and he's very polite. He's very kind. His name's Mike. He used to go to Cuff Press. I don't know if you guys know him. He's kind of a big guy. He's the guy who stands on the corner on 33 with a cross at the Lowe's, uh, where you turn to go to Lowe's or Krispy Kreme. That's Mike. He comes on our campus, um, students like him. He's not offensive. He's not rude. He's just there evangelizing. He's just there speaking the gospel. That's not me. And I would say in, in many ways, Mike actually has built a relationship, not with individuals, but with our community. He's known and trusted by the students at JMU. He has a reputation that precedes him. And so I still think there is a relational engagement happening there. But what I want to speak to you about is uh, I'd like to use the analogy, and I of a marriage proposal. That speaking the gospel to someone and asking them to trust Jesus is the same as, as the same approach, the same getting to that place relationally as a marriage proposal. You don't propose to somebody out of the blue. Oh, right? That's strange. I could go up to Elkton Brewery this afternoon and just wander around looking for ladies without rings on their fingers and go up and say hi and introduce myself and 15 minutes later say, now that you know me, I would be curious if you'd like to marry me. Now, Eventually, you might land somebody that way, um, but I would question the, uh, the long-term viability of that relationship. Now, a marriage proposal doesn't come out of the blue. It's based on a deep relationship, and you've likely discussed marriage numerous times before the actual proposal, but you can't just stay in the friendship and say we're married. At some point, the question still needs to be asked. Will you put up with me the rest of your life? That was a joke. I'm saying. 
And so evangelism isn't about skills, it's not about training, it's not about mechanics, it's not about the right approach or the right angle. These things aren't wrong, but they can create artificial people where we simply have an agenda. It's about building meaningful relationships that have depth, that through ongoing conversation about who Jesus is, we get to a place where we say to somebody, would, would you like to know and follow Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? So the manner in which the gospel is communicated needs to be consistent with the message of the gospel itself. The message of the gospel is God loves you and wants to welcome you into his life. And so the manner in which I communicate that message, I love you and I want to welcome you into my life, that m the message in the, it, what is, the medium is the message, right? That's, the, that's that little phrase. The medium is the message. How I'm going about this is the actual thing I'm trying to tell you verbally. So friendship is the, the vehicle for preparing people for Jesus, just like dating is the vehicle for preparing for marriage. And good friends talk about anything and everything. Or at least it should be able to. Good friends, they talk about their highs and their lows, their worries, their concerns, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their family. Good friends even talk about politics. Good friends even talk about faith. And so our problem with evangelism isn't so much that we don't know what to say. Oftentimes it's we simply don't know who to be or how to be a good, loving, close, trusting friend. And I want to say that good, close, trusting friends are curious and caring about the people they're in friendship with. And they talk in evangelism, we want to talk about three things, or listen, or converse around three things. First, their story, your friend's story. Second, your story. And third, guess what? Jesus' story. Pretty basic, pretty simple. So their story, one of the questions I, I ask students pretty consistently as I'm getting to know them, I just, I'll just literally say to them, what's your story? Christian students get all uptight about it. They think I'm asking them their testimony. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> like, they get anxious and nervous about it. And like, I'm, like I'm testing them for something. I was like, and so my response, you just ask somebody, like, what's your story? And they say, what do you mean? Whatever you want it to mean. That's my response. Because whatever you put forth as priority in terms of telling your story tells me a lot about who you are, what you think is important in life. What's your story? What do you mean? Whatever you want it to mean. The funny thing is non-Christians don't get uptight about that. You say, what's your story? They just are, they tell you anything and everything about their life. They're not guarded. It's refreshing. It's beautiful. So what's your story? And so listening to their story over long periods of time, and we start kind of just connecting dots. I'm looking for commonalities and things that are happening over, over the span of their life and the immediacy of their life. And throughout this whole thing, um, my posture is, is, this isn't the best phrase, uh, but I'm going to tell it to you. My posture is casual indifference. So, I was meeting with, uh, what, what's the phrase that Zoe was sharing? Um, not casual indifference. Uh, Non-anxious presence. Yeah, that sounds a little more professional. Um, uh, Non-anxious presence. Same concept. Uh, basically, basically, it's saying, I'm not going to treat you like your parent. So uh, a student, uh, I was getting to know him this past year. He, he wasn't a believer. And he's living with an, a guy from InterVarsity. And he's also living with his girlfriend and another woman. So that's shocking to you. That happens nowadays. Um, and 
And the guy from InterVarsity is like, hey, you ought, to, you ought to grab lunch with CJ. So I was like, I'll grab lunch. And so he reached out to me, he was grabbing lunch. And I said, what's your story? Starts talking, living with my girlfriend, this is going on. Um, and all these red flags are going up. Like in my mind, I'm not judging. I'm just discerning. I'm just like, man, this, this is a messed up relationship. Essentially, it was a codependent relationship. Uh, she was extremely emotionally dependent, which if you don't know what that means, it simply means you have an addiction to a person. Uh, you have an idolatry around an individual and you can't do or function without them. And if they do or function without you, you feel like you're totally missing life and you have to be around them. So you limit them and you pull them in. But it's codependent because he was capitulating to these things and he felt like he was being a bad boyfriend because she was using these, this emotionally laden language. So anyway, all these red flags are going off. You guys tracking with me? All these red flags are going off. And if it was a split screen thing like in a movie, I'd be like this outwardly. Hmm. Oh, well, that's rough, yeah. But inside, I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Like, oh my gosh. Like, what is going on? And again, that's not judgment, it's discernment. I've been in that place, not in emotion. I've been trapped in sin. I know the grief, I know the pain, I know the struggle, I know the sense of no way out. And so I'm feeling that all at once, but outwardly, you know, I'm just casually indifferent. Like, oh, bro, that sounds hard. Yeah, that's rough, man. Yeah, what are you, you going to do about that? And start saying some ideas. Um, and then I just throw out there, it's like, do you think God's in that relationship anywhere? But I'm really, I was like, I don't, I don't care if he is. You know, it's like, whatever. I mean, maybe he is. I do care, but I don't care. All right? Um, and I was like, do you think God's in that relationship anywhere? And he starts going, I was like, yeah, I think he wants me to love her better. And, and inside, red flags are going off. I was like, I don't know how to love. <laughs> like, this is really messed up. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, how, what would that look like? And he starts telling me, and I was like, eh, that's not good. Um, <clears throat> close up the conversation, and, you know, I go home and I pray for him. I start praying for this guy. And I get, I get some, some thoughts. I think that's God when I'm praying. I have some ideas that come to my mind and my heart for him. So I text him. I was like, yo, I was praying for you and your girlfriend. I was just thinking about this. I didn't say God told me. I was just praying for you. We get together numerous times throughout the whole year. And eventually we get to a place where I can verbalize Jesus' love for him and what true love looks like and sacrificial love. Um, and it's like a light switch goes off. It's amazing. All this is happening in a dining hall, by the way. <laughs> like this isn't, um, and... He comes to faith. He trusts Jesus. I say, what's your local church? Um, he had been visiting Duck with his, uh, with his roommate. And I was like, you need to talk to the pastor at Duck and get baptized. And he got baptized. Um, and then we started talking about lordship and trusting Jesus. And by the end of the semester, uh, he and his girlfriend uh, had, had broken up. I think that was a good thing. Um, but they had also decided they weren't going to be, he had decided they weren't going to be living together next year anymore. And he's moved out uh, of that apartment with her. Amazing things, but here's the thing. I needed to listen and I needed to believe that God was already at work in that relationship because the harvest is plentiful. God was already at work in this guy's life. He couldn't see it, he couldn't fully verbalize it, but as I engaged with him, I could connect the dots and I could see it. It's like, well, what about this? Have you considered that? Do you think God might be doing this? And I have all this litany of questions that I run through people over time. Again, casually indifferent. Um, and so I, I'd ask him questions like, have you, have you ever had an encounter with God? Like, do you know about like Moses at the burning bush? 
You ever had like a God moment in life? He's like, I have. He's like, tell me about it. I'd love to hear about it. And you just talk. And again, I'm not like pouncing on that. I'm just listening. I'm connecting dots so that when the time comes and I've been praying, I say, I was like, what about this? And you mentioned this, and I, I don't know. I think God's at work in your life. What, what would it look like for you to trust Jesus that he died for your sin and wants to take all this stuff from you? Man. It's not a one moment, squeeze it all in, force a conversation and decision, but an ongoing caring curiosity that matures to a place of decision. But the first thing we need to do is listen to their story. Believing that God is present already at work and the harvest is plentiful. And the other thing we got to be able to do is, is share our story. What's your story? And as Christians, oftentimes we hear that we've been trained to tell your conversion experience, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I would encourage you to think instead of your conversion experience is your ongoing experience with the Lord. Where is God at work in your life right now? Would you be able to name the things, the areas you're struggling through, the areas of brokenness, not necessarily the areas of victory, although that's okay, but the areas of brokenness like, Lord, I'm pleading for this. I'm looking for this. I need your help in this. I'm bringing this to the cross for forgiveness so that I can then share openly with others about what God is doing in my life. And in the process of doing that, I'm sharing the gospel. I'm telling them how the gospel is functioning and at work within my life. See, lots of times we think that the gospel is simply an entry point for salvation. Like, I believe the gospel, I come, I get baptized, and then I guess I, what? I, I perform, I get better, I stop sinning, what do I do? Um, well, you keep believing the gospel is what you do. The gospel is not an entry point for your faith, it's the foundation of your faith. It's what you build everything on. And so we're constantly going back to the foundation to build. And if you don't know where you are with the Lord and you can't give testimony to his current work in your life, it's not because he's not doing things. It just means you haven't been attentive recently. Pull back. Take a a day of retreat, a day to say, Lord, where are you at work in my life? I've gotten so caught up in family or work or finances or business or even sin and brokenness that I can't even have perspective. Pull back and say, Lord, where am I? Find a person that you can talk to. You know the best people to talk to, to verbally process where you are, is non-Christians. That's a non-Christian friend. So I'm trying to figure out where I am with the Lord right now. Like, I haven't paused the thing. I go to church every Sunday. Um, but I haven't really thought about where I am with the Lord. And I just need someone to, like, process that through. Um, and you know what happens? You say that with honesty and integrity. And again, casual indifference towards them. I'm not trying to get them to say something back, but you know, they're going to start thinking. And you're demonstrating to them that, that God is at work. I'm thinking about these things. Any person walking with Jesus has a current testimony. Do you know yours? Could you tell someone where you are with Jesus? All right, it's getting hot, so I'm going to skip that part. Let's talk about Jesus' story. Their story, your story, Jesus' story. Jesus' story is not a memorized scripture monologue where I just start preaching at someone for 10 minutes. A friend asks you about Jesus, and you're like, oh, finally. But then the fear strikes. You're like, what? wait a minute, what, what do I tell them? I think I learned in high school, Romans Road. Where is that? Uh, Romans 3. Uh, it's like, hold on, let me look this up. You know, just talk to Kevin. Um, like, do you, it's, it isn't just some memorized thing. 
Becky Pippert, she wrote Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, she, a quote out of that book. She says, we've become unconvincing and unconvicted travel agents passing out brochures to places we've never visited. Oh, right? No, the gospel, if, if you're churning through the gospel in your life on a regular basis, you're going to know the gospel. You're going to be able to communicate it. You're not going to be like, well, I think it's like you go to heaven and here's this. Uh, would, you, would you be interested? It's like, no, I would not be interested in that at all. Do we need training? Absolutely. Is preparedness important? Yes, very much so. Is gospel, liter- gospel literacy needed? Absolutely. But not a mechanical programmed response. Training, preparedness, and gospel literacy comes from your daily personal engagement with the gospel. You must daily evangelize yourself. You must sit down on a daily basis and come before the Lord and say, Lord, I am a sinner to the core, not just my behaviors, my motives, my instincts, my gut reactions to things. Lord, I'm broken, and yet you have loved me, and Jesus has taken upon himself my sin. It's no longer on me. Thank you, Lord. It feels like it's on me, but you got it. I trust you with that. And Lord, I want to enter into a resurrection life. I want to live new today. In the power of your Spirit, would you enable me to step into the life of Christ, both morally and missionally, Lord? Help me stop being so self-focused in my life is just about me. Let it be about you. And so as I do that on a daily basis, some of us have been taught that having a quiet time is reading the Bible, praying. Those are very good things. Uh, The Puritans had a term for a quiet time. They called it the means of grace. In other words, reading the Bible and prayer, fasting and all the other spiritual disciplines, were the means by which I receive the gospel into my life. And so means by which I receive forgiveness and grace on a daily, regular basis. And so if I'm evangelizing myself, telling myself, not even telling, that's weird, I'm relating to God through the gospel on a regular, daily basis, When a person says, tell me about Jesus, or the window opens for me to speak to them about Jesus, it isn't this weird moment where I'd be like, "Uh, I think it's here in the Bible, or hold on, let me look that up online and find the right words to tell you. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Luke 6. That's just not evil that comes out of your mouth. It can also be gospel that comes out of your mouth. And so is the gospel, I'm not asking, are you saved? I'm asking you, is the gospel rooted in your heart in such a way that it's bearing forth fruit so that when you speak, it comes forth? This is why I said earlier, we can do a whole semester of teaching, but it's a life of trying and trusting that is required to bring this forth for us to become missionally engaged with the world. I want to close with our gospel reading. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling, and it was noon, and they were getting a little hungry, and it was getting a little hot. And so they pull off to the side of the road, and Jesus starts relaxing by a well, and the disciples are like, you know, we'll go get food. So they head into town to get food, and a woman comes out from town to the well, and Jesus has this 
awesome, beautiful conversation with her that's winsome, winsome and uh, free and convicting, and he does the contact evangelism thing. Well, she was a woman of, of ill repute in that town. She was a woman who had many men in her life. Jesus knew this. He confronts her with it, presents himself to her as the Messiah, and then she heads back into town. And it says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. Remember, this is the town not-so-nice girl. I'm trying to be polite with my language. Uh, she was not welcome even in her own town. She had a bad reputation. But she left her water jar, and she goes back into the town, and she actually talks to townspeople. The whole reason she went out to the well at high noon instead of early in the morning is because no one would relate to her, no one would socialize with her. She was an outcast. But she goes back, and she starts talking, and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Take note, she invites them to a person. Come meet a man. And then she asks a question. She doesn't preach. She says, could this be the Messiah? She knows. She's experienced it. She went to the well thirsty. She leaves the water jar. Her spirit has been quenched. Part of the conversation, Jesus says, streams of living water will overflow out of you. And she's experienced it. She knows who this is, but she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they, they went out. And they made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples, they're, they're back at the well. And the disciples have come back out of town. And they're urging him to eat something. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, because someone brought him food. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. It's a beautiful comment on missional spirituality. Sometimes we think that stepping into the world and doing the work of God will be this exhausting thing that's just going to drain us. And Jesus says, far from it, stepping into the world and doing the work of God has fed me. It has satisfied me. And if any of you have had that experience of walking near to someone and actually seeing them come to faith, it's like it stops your whole world. It's this astonishing moment that like, man, if I could have more of that, I would have something to feed on. And so Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he, he says, this, I love this part. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. See, Jesus is standing here at the well. And the disciples have come up the road from the town. And so they're standing and they're facing Jesus. But Jesus is looking over their shoulder and who's coming? It's the woman with the entire town. And they're coming up behind the disciples and Jesus sees them. He sees them coming. He says to the disciples, open your eyes. The fields are white with harvest and the disciples turn around. There's this entire town coming to them and he says, even now the one who reaps draws a wage in the harvest and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper another reaps together. Thus the saying, one sows the woman went and she sowed a seed, and another reaps. It's true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work. God has gone before you. The harvest is plentiful. And you've reaped the benefits of their labor. And then the story ends. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. In other words, her story was a significant part 
in the conversion of many people in that town. But then, at the end, it says, the, the townspeople said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That in the speaking of our testimony and the encounter of the person of Jesus through the spoken word, they aren't hearing me speak. They're hearing the Lord speak. And they say, no, it wasn't because what you said, it's because I heard the Lord himself. And this is what's happening when we proclaim the word. It isn't up to you to get it just right. The word goes forth with its own authority, its own power, and the word does the work so that the individual hears Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father, that we would be like this woman, unashamed, not caring what others have thought about us in the past, and just saying, look, this is what the Lord has done in my life. And yet, rooted relationally in a community to be able to step back into it and say, look, I got a question. Do you think? Lord, help us to be curious, to ask questions of other people's lives. Lord, help us to be looking for you already at work. Give us eyes to see your provenient grace in the ways you've gone before us. And might we be able to speak words that connect that, to care enough to pray for these individuals, to speak to them, to ask them questions, and to call them to trust you. Lord, would you make the gospel so true and rich in our personal lives on a daily basis that we can't help but overflow it in speaking it to others, that we would live it towards others, live a life of grace so that when someone tells us they're living with their girlfriend and sleeping with her, we don't respond with law, we respond with grace and mercy and kindness because we know, Lord, that you've responded with grace and mercy and kindness to us. Lord, make us a church on mission, that we would go into the world, our places of work, places of commerce, our neighborhoods, and that we would represent you, we would represent you, we would speak of you, we would look for others who are open to friendship and relationship. Lord, change us as a community. Lord, might we see many people come to saving faith through our mission in this world. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.